It's always beautiful, and even a minor hiccup. But uh, well, again, if you'd like to, you can turn back to Mark if you need to. And uh, as we continue moving through the Gospel of Mark, or the Gospel according to Mark, and uh, to come to this part in 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 Mark's Gospel. I find it an interesting, well, it's called parentheses, as it were. You know, it's kind of like you, we're moving forward, we're going through, we just got done the last time we, we were here, you know, beginning, uh, you know, hear about the, the Lord sending out the, the, the 12, empowering them to, to cast out demons, to, to heal the sick, to preach the gospel of the kingdom at that time. Kind of hit that point, and it's telling us all about that. And suddenly, boom, you hit this stop, and it, you know we get this little <laughs> interlude, this or this you know, rabbit trail, almost not quite, but you know this verse fourteen. Now, King Herod heard of him, and for his name had become well known. And he said, John the Baptist has risen from the dead, and therefore these powers at work at him. That's interesting. Yeah, you know, part of that we almost have to stop and go. For those reading this the first time, must have been like, wait, what? <laughs> John's dead? When did that happen? <laughs> kind of moment. Have you ever had that when you're reading either a book or an article or something and information comes in? It's like, did I miss something? You find yourself kind of paging back. Did something was come in that I didn't realize? No. <laughs> this is, at least in, in Mark's account, this is the first we hear of it that this took place. We get this kind of, as I said, parentheses. And it's interesting. There's no mistake. There's not a side note. You know, there's nothing unimportant in the Word of God. Sometimes you wonder, well, why is this here? Well, some could be saying, you know, for those reading, maybe wondering, whatever happened to John? He was a prominent figure early in the Lord's ministry. In fact, if you may not remember, but keep your finger here, turn back to the first chapter in Mark. Mark 1, verse 14. This is just after the Lord's temptation in the wilderness, and he comes up. And I'm moving quickly in this account, and verse 14 says, Now after Jesus came to Galilee. So way back then, right after that, we're told John was put in prison. Some may be wondering, well, what's been happening all this time? What's been going on? We don't hear anything <laughs> all this time. He's not brought in, and we don't know at that point why he was put in prison at that moment. What led to it? And one thing about the, the Gospels, it, it, we're not given the same kind of time frame that we thought in Western accounts. You know, days, months, years, what's passing. We, we could look back and you can time it out to some degree where we are at in the Lord's. You know, he had three years at this point. Or not, I mean at this point, but total. So you can kind of look at about where he's at. He's kind of, you know, a little over halfway, I think, in his earthly ministry. But again, it's hard to nail that down specifically. But so, 
John's been in prison for quite some time. <laughs> Sitting in prison. And it isn't until now that we hear the why. Kind of hear is, again, like to always refer to Paul Harvey moments like this. <laughs> he likes to say, what happened? What happened? And it's a heartbreaking account. It's, it's a, a gruesome Again, there's things about the Word of God that I always appreciate isn't the right one. Awed by? God never hides anything. He never glosses over things. He's going to give you the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know? And there's a lot of negative in the sense it's uncomfortable at times. You don't like to read certain passages like, ooh, ooh. Gives you the heebie-jeebies or whatever. But God tells it like it is. I like you want to be. I like anyone else wants to be. This is what happened. This is the reality. <laughs> so we begin this. You know, Mark shares the rest of this story. He shares this account. Of what happened to John? John's dead. Herod had him killed, and we find out why he had him killed. We find out why he had him imprisoned. And it's interesting, you know, he had him in prison. There's something we can go off on a lot of rabbit trails there, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but he did. There's a lot, we will learn some things, I think, some takeaways from this for us today. As we move through this, we're going to just kind of take it, this account for what it is and look at it. This is John, Herod put John in prison to appease his wife. Uh, we see that. In verse 17, For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Again, the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> ugly. You know, John, apparently John, he would not have, should not have married this woman. Again, we get to say John the Baptist was a bold preacher. Get the sense of that. One in the wilderness crying out to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. One to mince words. It's one to go light or skirt issues. Sounds if he had something to say, he was going to say it. And he said it. It is not lawful for you to have as your wife, as your brother's wife, king. So just, too, that just fits his role as a prophet. We know that throughout God's word. Nathan had to do that with King David. David and his sin. And call him account for it. And John the Bear. With Herod. Now this, you may already know, but this is not Herod the Great. There's a lot of Herods in the Bible, and sometimes it gets confusing with some of those names. But Herod seems to be more of a surname. You know, because there's several Herods. There's Herod Agrippa. And this particular Herod, Antipas. Pronouncing that name, but Herod Antipas. He is the great had. Herod the Great, I believe, had four or five wives in almost ten, three or four, you know. Not such a great man, was he? But no, not a good man by any means. But but Herod, he is the tetrarch of Galilee, which means he's not, you know, the 
may have bespoke there, but he, is, he refers to him as the king. The word really is more tetrarch. He is the ruler, he is the overseer of a particular region, but because this area is all under the dominion of Rome, he has not been given the title. He is a tetrarch. Now, he's a high official, and it's close, but there's some things that, that he is excluded from as a result. But anyways, John knocking on the door one day. Were they having dinner? Was it a meeting? Was it a public act to Herod? We're not exactly told. We're just known that John says, it is not lawful for you to have this woman as your wife. Is John just giving his opinion, going, you know, that's not cool, man. Come on, what are you doing? You know? No, of course not. Again, if you like to keep your fingers here, we'll turn to the Leviticus. Just again, see that... John, like all true prophets, calls people out because of what God says. Leviticus chapter 18, we'll look at just two verses, uh, one here and one in, in chapter 20. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 18, it says, Nor shall you take a woman as a rival to her sister to uncover her nakedness while the other is alive. See, if Herod Antipas was married. Before, to another one. So he's already committing adultery by taking not just his brother's wife, but he's taking any woman as a wife, according to the Mosaic law. So one strike. And then if you turn over to chapter 20, verse 21, it's it even more specific. If a man takes his brother's wife, it is an unclean thing. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. This is not lawful. This is not right. should not do this. And John had the audacity to speak the truth. Had the audacity to speak the truth to the king. There's something that we see interesting about Herod here. Herod lays a hole in verse 17. Which says he puts him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John says it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Verse 18. And the 19 says Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man. And it's usually two things, a couple of things. Like it will either bring someone to repentance or it will harden their heart. And will push them further away from repentance. He's something that hardens his heart to almost indifference to the truth. He doesn't seem to hate John. It's a weird almost relationship that they have. He gets him in prison because apparently his wife is very upset about this and wants him dead. So Herod says, okay, I'll put him in prison. We're not going to kill him, but I'll do that. Okay, you'll be there. You won't be able to talk to anybody. You know, it's going to be miserable enough, right? But he won't let him be put to death. He feared John and protected him. In Matthew, you don't have to turn there, but in Matthew's account of this, it says he feared John because of the multitude. I think that's true because John was considered to be a, a holy man, a man of God. And he knew if that if he overstepped his bounds, as Herod, and put this man of God to death, 
might rise up against him. That happens. You know. you know, kings aren't always secure in their castles. They can be brought down by the mob or by people. And Herod was afraid of that. So he said, "Well, I'll just you know, in part of that, his own skin." But this is, he protected him. He wouldn't let Herodias kill him. Death. Yes, I'll imprison him, but. But also in that verse there, in verse 20, it says that, and then when he heard him, many things, and heard him gladly. It's interesting. It sounds like they, he would listen to him. I don't know, did he go down to the prison and chat with him? Did he have him brought up? Again, so many things were not told. The little, you know, <laughs> details like that. What kind of meetings did they have? Conversations. But again, it says that he heard him. But it doesn't say they listened to him. <laughs> he heard him. And he did many things. Maybe some good things. But ultimately he said, he, but you wouldn't do what John confronted him on. How often that is with the truth. You can address someone about something very specific. I say, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, you're a good person. I hear you, but, you know. Yeah, not going to do that. Not going to stop that. I like you, and you know I like talking, but yeah, no, no, not going to do this. And how often that happens, even today. So often that it's just part. Often when we're confronted with the truth, someone won't rebel against it. They won't get angry. Shrug it off. Ignore it. Just ignore it. It's interesting how often, you know, like I said, he did many things. But there's that one thing, and how often God will bring it back to that. He's like, yeah, I see what you're doing there. That's maybe okay, but this, this thing, this is what you need to stop. This is what I need you to do. He doesn't do it. And again, we're not told exactly how long this went on, specifically, but apparently some time until it comes to a head. I mean that to be like a joke, so to speak, but, but it comes to that point, you know. Because while Herod's heart is hardened to indifference towards the truth, and I, didn't, I can't think of a better word towards that, just again, ignoring it. Yeah, I hear it, I understand, not doing it. Herodias, on the other hand, her heart was hardened into outrage. Outrage. She was incensed, infuriated, cheesed off. Oh, how dick that what we are doing is wrong. How our relationship is sinful. Yeah, didn't they? No. The more they change, the more they stay the same. Again, stand up and call out what it is. Usually aren't cheered for it. <laughs> Usually aren't applauded for it. Now, a while back, several years ago, I was reading a war. 
what I found interesting early on was it pointed out and it brought uh, to my attention how instrumental, and this is probably those here, Bible-believing Christians were to the abolitionist movement, abolition of slavery. They were the ones, of course, were putting their hand up and their voices and saying, this is wrong. This is an affront to God. This needs to stop. And they voiced it again. again. Because when they voiced it in the wrong parts of this country, they were not cheered. At times they were ill. Even killed. How dare you tell us that what we're doing is sinful? We won't hear it. Again, we can look all the way through God's word. How many kings were addressed about their sin that put individuals to death? Throughout human history, when people put their voice to the truth. And today, there's many things in our country. The LGBTQ movement When a believer wants to stand up and just say, this is wrong. It's not wrong by my opinion. It's not wrong by my tease. If it was that, it'd be easier for me to say, do whatever you want. I'll be over here doing my thing. I don't care what you do. But when we tell someone this is wrong because God says it's wrong, it carries weight. And you can see a same level of outrage. That same level of anger. How dare you tell me what I'm doing? How dare you? Well, I don't dare. <laughs> In the sense, your outrage isn't with me. Your outrage is with God. Where the ultimate battle is because... Even Herodias here couldn't fight God. She could only take it out on John. But again, not just a point in our day and age, not just a point against a, a, a homosexual life. There was a time in our country where two, a man and a woman living together outside of marriage was called living in sin. <laughs> just a heterosexual or, homo, or a homosexual situation. God calls it sin. I find it interesting. Before they, he got married, uh, you know, came to Christ, and they, they wanted to, uh, you know, the, the, the woman he was about to marry, uh, they were getting an apartment by my brother. You know, she lived in the apartment. My brother stayed with me up until the marriage. Someone uh, asked them, well, why are you doing that? What does that matter? Well, that is, you know, that God says that's a sin, that that is to do that until marriage. This person did not take kindly to that. Say anything about their behavior or what they may or may not have done. The fact that he was saying, God says this about that, and I'm not going to do that. Conviction. Anger. Resentment. How dare you? How dare you call out what I've done? Sin. 
Again, that hardening of a heart. And Herodias gets man dead. And see that when the opportunity came, she uses her daughter to get it done. <laughs> kind of an interesting character this lady is. We see this in verse, well, picks up in verse 21. And an opportunity Herod on his birthday gave a feast for his nobles, the high officials, and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever. And he also swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my. And says she went out and asked her mother, What shall I ask for? Elder right away. The head of John the Baptist. Like she didn't even have to think. She didn't even have to pause and go, This guy, I don't know. His head. His head. And again, the part of my nature, part of me is like, was there any point in the way with, with her daughters? Like, really? <laughs> Are you sure you said anything? You know, half the kingdom. You know, we could, you know, we could really, you know, cash in on this deal. Oh, his head. But we see though, she, but she probably didn't because verse twenty-five says immediately she went in with haste. Obviously wanted to please her mother. Maybe she was incensed as well as what John said. Was that angry with him? We don't know for sure. But she didn't seem to give it much pause or thought either. Said, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. It's interesting, you know what? Herod, we come back to his point, his heart was also hardened to the point of passivity. I feel he was, he, he got to the point like painted himself into a corner, as it were. Instead of having the boldness and the courage to say, no. No, I've done a lot of bad things, but I'm not doing this. He says, Okay. He had no idea. Of what sense most don't. He was seemed to give in to his passions as many, you know, men, especially unsaved men do, and make statements of what the potential consequences were or might be. And in the end, he consents to the killing of John the Baptist. He could sense to it. It's interesting. And this man, this John the Baptist, who, Luke, who in, um, in, in Luke's account in chapter 7, you don't have to turn there, but when he gets word of what happened, this is what he says. I, for I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. There's not one born greater than John the Baptist. It's interesting how in God's economy, some of his greatest servants and those he he gives the greatest praise to are not protected from such ends. Again, I find it because if man would have written the word of God, if man would have wrote these accounts out, there would have been some sort of other outcome. 
statement that this is not going to happen. How often it comes back to God's ways. Part of it is because this life is not the end. It's not the end. The ultimate reward is not comfort and prosperity in this life. It is in that which is to come. It's interesting what happens here and how this plays out. And again, that Herod was really sorry. He went forward with it anyways and gave the command. Just we could contrast this with other reactions from, with the reaction of others from the truth. I already mentioned David when he was confronted by Nathan with the truth of his sin. Instead of you know, putting Nathan to death. David repents at all and acknowledges his sin. We could also take a look, if you'd like to keep your finger here, I'll just, is in 1 Corinthians. Ben, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. This is the statement of the part where Paul addresses the man who has taken his father's wife as his wife. He says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. And we know that this was his, most likely his stepmother, but st- there's still, again, we can turn back to Leviticus and see God's law for that. And Paul calls them... If you'd like to then turn to 2 Corinthians, just look at a couple verses there. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. See what happens with this conference when they are confronted with the truth. 2 Corinthians 10, uh, verse, or chapter 7, verse 10. Paul says, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you proved yourself in this matter. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in sight of God might appear to you. They repented as a group. They repented as a church. And if you turn back to chapter 2 of Second Corinthians, verse 4. This speaks more of the, the, the individual man in this. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 4 says, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you, and with many tears, that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly abundantly for you. But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not not to be too severe. This punishment was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. So that, on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and come followed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. It sounds, in this context, in this situation, 
There's, it can always go one of two ways. Either push someone away or draw them to God. The question, are we, that's one of the takeaways I see from this passage. His example and his stand for the truth. Will you stand for the truth regardless of the consequences? I said throughout history, throughout the word of God, more often than not, all out sin for what it is are not applauded for it. But there are times when they are thanked. When those individuals realize their sin, repent, and turn to God. And they are blessed. And they are grateful. It doesn't mean it will always work out that way. God only asks us to be faithful. Another takeaway from this, for ourselves, sometimes we need to be confronted with the truth. Well, we ourselves, which way are we going to go? Will we harden our hearts? Will we become indifferent to the truth? Ignoring it, carrying on as if nothing happened? Or will we become enraged, angered, incensed by it? God always leaves the choice up to us. He never takes that free will away from man, from mankind. But either way, He always asks us to be faithful and open to the truth. With that, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do before you, thankful for your truth that does not change. Thank you for your examples, bold examples like John the Baptist, Paul, of those who stood for the truth regardless of the consequences. And we do pray in similar circumstances, trusting in you, faithful to the end. With that, we pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.